0: The national-led government says the state doesn't do a good job with social housing and wants to reduce its involvement in providing the poor with somewhere to live. Church groups and iwi say they're keen to take on the more than 20,000 state houses likely to be up for sale. But they want the houses at a discount and they don't want the dregs. This Radio New Zealand Insight programme asks if the government's desire to step away from state housing is just ideological or will it work and give the thousands of people on waiting lists a place to call home?
1: These are typical state house plans two bedrooms, a living room, kitchen, and a sunroom.
2: The first Labour government cut this the ribbon on its first state house bedrooms, in 1937. It was a stucco house with the multi-plated windows seen on many state houses, framed by shutters and capped with a sturdy, grey-tiled roof. It was built at number 12 Fife Lane, in the Wellington suburb of Miramar. The day the first tenants, Mary and David McGregor, moved in, the then Prime Minister, Michael Joseph Savage, carried their dining table through its front door and so began a proud tradition of state-run housing for lower-income families. Today, Housing New Zealand Corporation has its headquarters in downtown Wellington, but it runs more than 68,000 houses all over the country, which are home to about 193,000 people. At $18.6 billion, it's the Crown's second largest asset, and as it updates its houses, some properties are sold off to tenants, private landlords and iwi all the time, but never on the scale that the current national-led government intends. I'm Teresa Cowie, and this insight looks at the future of state housing and if charities, iwi and private companies could do a better job.
1: Now this modern, almost palatial building stands out as a thing of beauty from its surroundings.
2: There are currently about 5,500 people on the Housing New Zealand waiting list hoping to find a home. Of those, about 1,200 already have houses but need to move to a more suitable one that fits their family's size, location or any special needs.
1: State services. Many more homes. Yesterday, another step toward relieving Auckland's acute housing shortage took place. The opening of the Greys Avenue block of 50 state flats by the Minister of Works, Mr Robert Semple.
2: And nearly 70 years later, it's still Auckland that's hungry for more social housing. Today, the city needs around 3,000 state houses to meet demand. At the Salvation Army's Auckland headquarters in Manukau, the head of its social policy and parliamentary unit, Major Campbell Roberts, shows me through its busy support centre, where people come to get help with money, food and housing.
1: So this is the uh, reception area, obviously, of the centre, and um, we would have 500 clients a week coming in here, at least. Many people coming for food assistance, but numbers of people coming for housing assistance. And one of the real problems is we just have no alternatives to send people to. So often we're having to refer people to camping grounds, to... In some instances, in a case recently, we had to allow people to stay in their car in our locked car park.
2: In one office, social action. workers are trying to help people into both Salvation Army houses and, and state houses. What's this? What are you doing? Well,
1: I'm here? doing I'm doing a um, redirection of benefit payment for a client who's unable to write. So he's coming in. He's I'm waiting for him. Him and his son, son went into a boarding house last uh, Friday. So, um, because he was living on that boarding place where they closed down.
2: And that phone call was another request for housing, this time from a local South Auckland MP, wanting somewhere for two families that have been evicted. The Salvation Army already runs about 300 social houses, and Campbell Roberts says it's keen to expand but it's cautious about any deal it might be able to strike with the government to buy state houses. Mr Roberts says the Salvation Army doesn't get the income-related rent subsidy from the government yet, but it hopes to. The government subsidy is a payment to Housing New Zealand or a registered community housing provider, so tenants who meet certain criteria don't pay more than 25% of their after-tax income on rent. Campbell Roberts says as it stands, the Salvation Army could buy up to 60 state houses. If it borrowed more or partnered up with other funders, it could potentially take on thousands. He says it would want to buy them at a discount. I asked him if he thought it was a good deal for the owners of the houses, the taxpayer.
1: Investing in housing, whether it's, the, it's investing them in government housing or whether it's investing in the community housing sector. And I'm not saying that that this shouldn't be any different for government housing as it is for community housing. They should all be of good standard. Um, But that investment will pay off uh, triple-fold for the taxpayer um, if it's well done.
2: But the Finance Minister, Bill English, says the government is yet to decide if it will sell the houses at a discount.
3: We need to be fair to the taxpayers and the social housing providers need to be aware of that. So if they're expecting the government to you know, provide substantial discounts, we want to run a process that ensures that there's transparency around the pricing and that the taxpayer gets value for money. It may well be that housing New Zealand houses aren't worth as much as the government thinks they are.
2: It's not yet nine o'clock in the morning, and in Māngere, across the road from Monte Cecilia Housing Trust, a woman in her dressing gown is already out raking some of the withered spring flowers that have fallen on her tidily mown lawn. The trust, which sits anonymously among the other homes, houses families temporarily and teaches them skills for living in their own home.
4: We can actually accommodate 12 families here. Each family will share three interconnecting rooms, but it is shared facilities here, so the bathrooms and showers, and you'll see what I call the hub is the kitchen and the dining area. It's all shared space. So um, it's a fairly intensive programme here. And it's more of a program than just a bed for the night.
2: The trust what has some short term houses and it runs lodge style accommodation for families. Its executive you know, David Zussman says the government's you know, plans to move you know, away from state provision of social you know, housing is poorly thought as through and families.
4: vague. when there's a lack of detail and there's these potential headlines of, you know, up to twenty percent being sold off and testing the market and seeing what happens, um, you know, that is of concern to uh, myself and uh, I'm here at Monte Cecilia Housing Trust. My view of things is that, you know, the alternatives, which is community housing providers, of which we are one, you know, have got a lot to offer, are ready, willing and able to do more, but it is going to be incremental and appropriate growth and it does require investment and it requires us to work together, not to have what I see as rather loose kind of headline announcements made you know that hint on some different way of doing things I would say um you're beginning to talk about us but not with us at this stage.
2: David Zussman says ultimately there needs to be more housing and the government's move away from owning houses and paying out rent subsidies won't change that.
5: These are slated to be boarded up shortly so are those this piece of land there were 27 families 27 separate homes. The bus that used to come around here doesn't come around here anymore, and this is one of the reasons why.
2: Bill Hiku has lived in Cannons Creek for more than a decade. Initially he lived in a state house, but he now rents a house from his local church. Cannons Creek, which is in Purirua, north of Wellington, has a high number of state houses, and Bill Hiku says people there feel their communities being dismantled around them as state houses are sold off or demolished. As he takes me on a tour of Cannons Creek, there are whole streets where all the houses have been removed and neatly mown empty sections remain. On Hazard Grove, most of the terraced houses are boarded up, and he tells me the few tenants who are still living there are too scared to leave their houses at night.
5: Here you're standing. Everything up the back is housing in New Zealand. Across the top.
2: The same here. Bill Hiku says his church wanted to buy a row of flats in what he describes as prime Cannons Creek real estate, which is walking distance to the shops. Its attempts to get information from Housing New Zealand about how it could become a community housing provider and buy the houses went nowhere. He says one day a for-sale sign went up and a week later it was taken down. He doesn't know who bought it or what is happening with the empty section. And just 100 metres up the road there, that's the Cannons Creek town centre. Yeah. Yeah.
5: And, um, you know, all of my kids go to the doctors here and they... Go to the physio, the chemist is there, a garage. I mean, it's like a little uh, community hub.
2: So in a sprawling suburb like this, where walking to your amenities is not always an option, this empty section here is prime real estate, isn't it?
5: Prime real estate for young families.
2: He's worried that the detached houses on larger sections close to the shops and schools will fall into the hands of private investors and the charities and iwi will be lumped with the run-down terraced houses he calls strip houses.
5: Here in Cannons Creek where there are vast numbers of strip houses, they will create little pockets of ghetto and poverty.
2: Bilhiku likes the idea of a housing warrant of fitness, but says it could leave groups who buy upstate houses with a nasty surprise.
5: Well, there's been calls up and down the country in terms of uh, how do we hold owners who are renting out to account if they're renting out properties that are deemed substandard. I think the moment all of the, the dog buildings, the strip houses, you know, the strip units have been sold off or handed over or or whatever to these community groups. The government will will then say, well actually yes, landlords need to be held accountable for the quality of homes they're tenanting. Uh, We're going to introduce this bottom line uh, expectation of what you can tenant out. And I can guarantee you the properties they've just handed over to all of these community groups won't meet them.
2: So what's going to happen to the community groups?
5: So the community groups will then be forced to go back to the government for funding, which they won't get, and they will be forced then to fund it from inside, which means any rental that they're charging will go up.
2: Or they'll go bust. Or they'll go bust. Te is the chief executive of Terunanga or Ngāti Paro the iwi based in the most northern tip of the North Island's east coast. It's a registered community housing provider that runs a handful of properties, but it's looking into buying all 600 state houses in its area. So is Te Pa Wawatai worried about the iwi being hit with the cost of a warrant of fitness?
6: Absolutely. So as I say, there are a number of areas that the Crown needs to clarify. Uh, so that's one of the risks. And right now, the greatest risks are really in the unknown area of what the Crown uh, require of participants in this sector. So things like um, uh, like the warrant of fitness, they are areas where greater clarity is needed for us and for all other potential participants.
2: The minister responsible for Housing New Zealand, Bill English, couldn't give definitive answers when asked if the social housing providers would be left to pick up the bill if a warrant of fitness standard is brought in.
3: Well, look, I'm sure they will have a pretty good look at any houses before they buy them.
2: But they won't necessarily know what the standard of the warrant of fitness is, so...
3: Well, there's there's been a lot of discussion, or there is a lot of discussion going on with the housing sector about what standards would or wouldn't apply. The government has been trialling the housing standards approach in the Housing New Zealand houses, and uh, that information is coming to government in the next wee while. Certainly the tenants in particular, but also the providers, uh, will need some certainty about what the standard is going to be.
2: And in the briefing for the minister responsible for housing, New Zealand Corporation, the section which has the Warrant of Fitness programme on it, the section within that which talks about cost and viability of the programme, that's been redacted. Would you be willing to release that information so that social housing providers wanting to buy the houses are in full possession of the facts?
3: Oh, it's that, um, because the reason it's redacted is because it's under consideration. There'll be cabinet discussions about it in the near term and of course it'll have to be fully available and transparent to anyone who wants to take part.
2: The Government's main justification for wanting to sell off tens of thousands of state houses is that they're the wrong size, in the wrong place and are badly maintained. But figures in the Housing New Zealand annual report released this month contradict that. It says 96% of state houses are in the right place. 88.5% meet the needs of applicants and tenants, including having enough bedrooms, and that 97.4% of its properties are maintained to an appropriate standard. Housing New Zealand wouldn't be interviewed for this Insight programme and referred me to the minister responsible for Housing New Zealand, Bill English. He told me the corporation has already tried to clarify apparent discrepancies between government statements and Housing New Zealand's annual report.
3: They put out a statement themselves after the annual report saying that the survey could be misinterpreted. So they asked the tenants if if they were happy with the house they were in and 96% said yes. That's quite a different question from whether the houses Housing New Zealand has are appropriately matched to the needs of those who have social housing need.
2: You mentioned the statement that they put out last week, I have the statement here. Um, The statement doesn't actually marry up with what they're saying here because they're saying that line item Housing New Zealand Properties meets the needs of applicants and tenants and that it could be misinterpreted. But that's not really the line that it doesn't match up with what they're saying. So, Housing New Zealand properties available in the right place, 96%. They haven't addressed that. So, how do you explain that?
3: Well, you'd have to ask them. Um, but the information they've provided to government, actually for quite a number of years now, indicates that they have thousands of houses in places where they don't qualify for income related rents because of this lack of demand. Um, we're talking six or 8,000 of those houses. And that when they try and match demand with the actual houses they've got, there's a significant mismatch.
2: So why would they have it wrong here? It's a pretty simple table, three rows, and it says that, and it says 96% new, so it seems pretty clear.
3: Well, you would have to ask them.
2: They told re- me to come that, to you, though. No,
3: reading that at face value contradicts all the data.
2: What about this line here? Housing New Zealand properties are maintained to an appropriate standard, 97 of properties surveyed met the baseline standard. So that again contradicts that um, the houses are poorly maintained and that's one of your justifications for wanting to sell off.
3: Well, look, it's not a matter of justification. The fact is that there has been a big investment in maintenance. For instance, we've now insulated every state house that can be insulated and that's cost us tens of millions of dollars.
2: Housing New Zealand is also returning a $108 million dividend to the government this year. But Labour's Housing New Zealand spokesperson Phil Twyford says the government is trying to cover up the facts and Housing New Zealand's attempt to clarify the data is a joke.
3: It's there in black and white and I think that the ministers have been caught out making a false and wild claim to justify their sell-off plans.
2: He says outsourcing to charities won't help poorer people to get a house.
3: No-one has yet explained how selling them off to the Salvation Army or someone else is going to somehow magically mean that those houses are in the right place and are the right size. And I think it's really just being used as a kind of a
1: smokescreen
3: to somehow justify the wholesale privatisation of a large part of our social housing stock.
2: So is the government's plan driven by an ideology rather than the facts? The Salvation Army's Campbell Roberts says it probably is, but that doesn't mean it won't work.
1: I think it most probably fits with the sort of model which says, you know, move things away from the government control. The reality is the government's not making a very good job of it at the moment. And we are daily, in the centre that I'm sitting in now, get clients who are allocated state housing And if we were really being fair to those clients and giving them the wisest advice, we would say don't take the house because the house is in such poor condition and it's not going to be good for your family's health. Now that's appalling that that's happening. And so I think there does need to be a bit of pressure put on Housing New Zealand. I think there needs to be a bit of competition in the sector.
2: David Zussman from the Monte Cecilia Housing Trust says the government is trying to dodge the financial cost of finding a solution to a pressing need.
4: To me, there's a simple choice to make, and it's about we have to make the investment that's required. There's no, there's no way of dodging this, in my view, and what they're trying to do is, is try to dodge it and you know, um, by transferring the value of those assets and um, you know, suddenly creating more out of those. I actually think we need to keep hold of those assets and invest more to make sure we get an increase.
2: But Bill English says ideology is not the motivation for moving away from state housing.
4: I think it's driven
3: by trying to unravel the real needs of the people in these houses. You know, our job here isn't to fill state houses or just to build state houses. Our job here is to look after tens of thousands of the most vulnerable people in our community. They're not tools for a state housing ideology.
2: And the Association of Humanists and Rationalists, an organisation which supports reason-based policies and represents atheists who reject religious bias in daily life, says it's not only political agendas that could harm social housing. Its spokesperson, Peter Harrison, says moving away from a secular, state-funded organisation whose only mission is to house people to other groups with their own religious or cultural agendas puts vulnerable tenants at risk of discrimination.
0: I think a lot of community groups obviously do a lot of good work. Um, you know, we were talking about the Salvation Army, and I think that's the the, the group I've focused on most. Um, um, clearly, the Salvation Army do a lot of good work, and, and you know, and there's rest homes and, and drug programs, and there's there's a lot of good things that they do. But they are a religious organisation. They're not they're not a secular organisation, which is doing it for for purely secular motives. They are, in fact, and they have a, a mission statement which is very clear about them being a missionary organization which is trying to promote their particular religious point of view. They're, they're trying to push a certain set of religious beliefs onto people. And you have to ask the question is that really appropriate in a modern secular society where you might have Muslims or Buddhists? You know, these people, you know, they're not necessarily Christian, or even obviously, the, you know, there's a huge number of non religious people who, you know, they all need these kinds of services, uh, will there be any discrimination against them based on their religious views?
2: The Social Housing Minister, Paula Bennett, declined to be interviewed for this Insight programme, but she has told other media that groups taking on social housing would be able to choose their tenants. Peter Harrison says that leaves the opportunity for discrimination wide open in a way that wouldn't be possible under the current state-run secular provider, Housing New Zealand. Campbell Roberts from the Salvation Army agrees that's a valid concern.
1: They're right to be concerned about that, and uh, I don't think there is any way in which uh, housing should be a discriminated uh, product for people. So I think there needs to be some, and I don't only talk about the Salvation Army, but I talk about any community organisation, there needs to be strong controls on that we don't discriminate in any way. And that, I think, is helped by it now the allocation process or the assessment process being done by MSD.
2: But it's not just religious belief that could be a point of difference. Ngātiparou's chief executive, Tipa Wawatai, says it's the iwi's mission to advance its own interest as part of its wider goal of building a Ngātiparou nation. So does that mean non-Māori or non-Nāti Pero would be able to live in its houses should the iwi secure a monopoly on social housing in its area?
6: Of course. So we we wouldn't distinguish in terms of our our clientele, but also recognising, though, that by far the majority of Housing New Zealand clients uh, in our area are Māori. Now, I don't know the exact uh, percentage, but they are. Mainly Maori, and they are mainly from our tribe. Uh, Therefore, you know, we have a we have a keen interest in the uh, final disposition of of any housing structure.
2: Bill English says the safeguards to protect people from discrimination are already in place.
3: Of course, the government's got to have safeguards around discrimination provisions, but I think the benefits of diversity of provision treating these people as individuals rather than as, you know, components of some big state scheme, uh, the, the, the benefits of doing a better job that vastly outweigh any potential risks around discrimination.
2: Those lining up for greater involvement in social housing are varied and include local government. Councils are not eligible for the income-related rent subsidy – But as the government moves to offer it more widely, Christchurch and Wellington City Councils, among others, are looking at ways for their tenants to be eligible. Christchurch is the second largest social housing provider in the country, and it lost about 500 properties in the Quakes. The city's deputy mayor, Vicky Buck, says overall about 12,000 houses in the city were lost and with so many rebuild workers moving there, the pressure on housing is huge.
6: We're keen to create a new not-for-profit company um, that can be a registered community housing provider that we will then lease all of our housing units into and hopefully that will mean that all of our tenants will then attract the IRS, which makes a huge difference to the viability of social housing. At the moment, our rents are very low, and obviously in terms of the income of the people that we're dealing with, it's also very low. So raising our rents is not something that we can do to a point where they actually become economic. And having lost the rent from about 500 units, the portfolio is not sustainable in its current form.
2: Vicky Buck says the council also wants to partner with property developers. In the capital, Councillor Paul Eagle says the Wellington City Council is looking at ways to get the subsidy too. He says the council wants to buy housing and is looking at various other ways it can get low-income families into homes, especially helping those who are earning a bit more and no longer qualify for state or council housing
4: those tenants who become income earners and they earn a little bit more and they go over the threshold, there are no products on the Wellington market to allow them to rent to own, for example. So take a case that if you lived in Newtown all your life, you've rented a council uh, home, suddenly you you earn a little bit more in your cleaning job and that takes you over the threshold. The issue is, is that you would have to move out of our homes within 12 months. But it is unacceptable that that person, that family, would then have to move outside of the city when they've lived in Newtown, for example, for the last 30 years. So we need options for them in Newtown, right where they have grown up, where their families are, and where they work. Uh, that's what we need to look more at.
2: Mede Belza is the chief executive of Terunanga or Kirikiriroa, an urban Maori authority in Hamilton. The group has already built Komatua flats and has recently acquired Housing New Zealand land to build more. She says it's not necessarily interested in buying any of the state houses up for sale, but it would like the land. In the Waikato, because of the Lopatu claim, all state houses have to be offered back to the tribe. We've recently got a um, an email through to say these properties in Huntley and Narawahi and blah, blah, blah have been offered back to the tribe. Is anyone interested? So the first people who would get first dibs on that are beneficiaries of the tribe. And we are, we've we got a really good relationship with the tribe, so we would be interested not necessarily on individual houses. We're more interested in building villages and complexes. Um, So if that were to become available again, yes, we'd certainly be interested in that. Bill English says the government still has a great deal of work to establish what the future of social housing in New Zealand will look like. And he says the actual process of selling off the state houses is not going to happen in an instant, but is likely to be a gradual process that could take five years or more. I'm Teresa Cowie, and that's Insight for this week. If you'd like to contact us, you can send an email to insight at NZ or send a tweet to rnz underscore insight. I wrote and presented that programme. It was produced by Philippa Tolley with technical production by Jeremy Veal.